Hello, everyone. We're um, here with the um, uh, Corona Investigative Committee, and we're pleased and honored to talk to uh, James Corbett today. Um, James, uh, lovely to see you. It's thank you, um, thank you for having me here. <laughs> I've I've been I've I've been following your work for a very long time, and it's lovely to talk to you today about like what's going on in in the current situation, and um, yeah. So um, we would like to know from you what you think um, where we stand at this point of time with the whole cor uh, well Corona narrative. What you think is going on? I think it's exceptionally important to place the corona narrative in the broader context of not just the political or economic or social or technological trends that it is in, embedded in, but all of those together, which is forming the fabric of a new vision of the world that is, of course, going under various brand names like the Great Reset. Um, but I think it is important to situate this information in that context to really understand that this is not what we are dealing with fundamentally is not about a particular virus. It is about a an ongoing concerted effort to transform, well, ultimately every aspect of human society, but in the end, humanity itself, which sounds overwhelming, but that really is where this narrative ultimately tends towards. We're not just talking about the implementation of a biosecurity state, which would pr probably be more accurately described as a biofascist state. We are talking about the ultimate, as, as has been said many times on record, including as I've just gone over in my work recently, in a, a Policy Horizons Canada document called Exploring Biodigital Convergence, we are looking at the potential convergence of biological and digital te technologies in some sort of new form of life form that isn't quite human. And it is the government of Canada's official future thinking think tank that is saying this, not James Corbett. And I think we have to really understand that what we are seeing right now is a precedent setting time to put in the infrastructure to allow this great reset agenda to go forward. As well, I mentioned to you, I'm sorry, um, no, as right. I mentioned to you, um, I just watched your um, film, um, How Big Oil Conquered the World. And it's, uh, it's uh, striking how the very same people from 100 years ago are still around playing the same game. Um, what drives them? I mean, they have enough money. What drives them? It, it can't be money. They're using money. It's obvious that they're bribing a lot of people. But it, what is it that keeps them going? And, and why are they doing this? Well, you're exactly right to pick up on that continuity of agenda. And the most obvious parallel um, between what I was documenting, say, in the 19th century with the rise of the oil monopolies and our current situation today is, say, the Rockefeller family, who is still, of course, the name behind the Rockefeller Foundation and its various work, including Operation Lockstep and other things that I'm sure the uh, committee has uh, talked about in the past. So there are obviously some of the literal same family names that are floating around in this space. But also, as I pointed out in my work on uh, Bill Gates, who is Bill Gates, the Bill Gates documentary, uh, it is uh, the, the Gates family really specifically and consciously modeled their philanthropic idea on the Rockefeller family, converting a massive fortune into a powerful philanthropic institution that can then spearhead a particular agenda. And it is interesting that there is a continuity of agenda. And I think that should be obvious to people who have 
watched how and why Big Oil conquered the world, perhaps specifically why Big Oil conquered the world, because in that second part of my Big Oil documentary, I went through specifically what I think are the three parts that connect to this agenda back to what was going on even in the early 20th century, which is that at that time, I believe that the underlying ideology and the motive of what was being done was centered around the eugenics ideology pseudoscience um, that there are people who by virtue of their genes are better able to rule over others and more deserving to propagate into the future and that took its most crass and most basic form in the involuntary sterilization laws and other things that we saw not only in the united states but then being modeled specifically in germany and other such places around the world um, even in japan so that was obviously the the on the record motivation behind a lot of people, like the Rockefellers, for example, strong supporters of eugenics and eugenics research. Um, but obviously that name of eugenics was tarnished by the Second World War and the Nazi atrocities. So it had to go underground. And this was not something we have to speculate about. The American Eugenics Society and the leader of it at the time in the 1950s, whose name is going to escape my attention, escape my memory off the top of my head, um, but literally talked about the need to create crypto eugenics philosophies could carry on the work of eugenics, but under other names. And so it is that you can see that the American Eugenics Society literally morphed into the Population Council, which was similarly funded by the Rockefeller family, and which concentrated on the problem of the growing human population, which you might notice is exactly the same problem as identified by the eugenicists. We have too many of these useless useless breeders out there that are populate, overpopulating the earth. We have to get rid of them. Well, they made it sound like something good. It's for mother nature. We have to get rid of a large portion of the human species. And I think that the second stage of the eugenics ideology was uh, launched in the latter half of the 20th century and surrounded and was cloaked in environmental issues like population control, but also, of course, the carbon eugenics movement, um, which is aiming towards carbon rationing and other such things, which again, explicitly paints humanity and the human species as a cancer upon the planet that needs to be dealt with and taken care of. And so it is actually, um, now that it has happened, it seems very obvious to me that the thing that would launch us into the third stage of the eugenics slash crypto eugenic ideology, namely the biosecurity event, would launch us into the technocratic control of the human species, which is, I think is the apotheosis of this eugenic pseudoscience. Now, the people who will be able to rule over you are not just genetically superior to you, but in the very near future will have the various genetic and technological upgrades to demonstrate their superiority to the rest of the human cattle, who at that point may be allowed to survive as some sort of pliant and serviceable subspecies of humanity. And again, this sounds outlandish to people who do not read and understand the on-the-record statements of many, many researchers and many, many people who are actively working to make this stage of the eugenics idea uh, come to fruition, not only exploring biodigital convergence and other such uh, documents like that, but as I've been at pains to point out recently, um, a, a mainstream news article that struck my eye back in 2006 because of how outlandish it appeared on its surface. There was a BBC news article from 2006 talking about what could happen to the human species in 100,000 years, talking about how this human species will split into two and will have this giant 
towering warrior class of incredible human beings and we'll have a quote squat goblin like creature that will be the underclass that will serve this overclass it's literal Eloy and Morlock H.G. Wells level science fiction but being portrayed by the BBC News as the end point of this agenda and I think that is the very very large picture overview of what this crisis is about it is about ushering us through the biosecurity state into the technocratic state where we will be managed not just through techni- technological surveillance in, in, our, in our rooms or in our area, but literally being implanted into us in the name, of course, of health. And uh, it, until we understand that, this is so far beyond any profit motive of any individual corporation, until we understand the real agenda here, which is to control humanity at the genetic level, I don't think we'll be able to get a grasp on what's going on. And that is insanity. But is it yes. is it that so basically the transhumanism is not like a, a means to an end, you know? But it's it's like the end goal in in a, in a way. But like, is this so? How 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 many people do you think um, they they think are going to be like profiting from this? Because I mean, it seems I don't know if people since people are not really aware of what's going on. I think at least most of them, but there must be quite a few people who. Um, Maybe have a feeling that this is that this is going in some sort of direction. I, I kind of get the feeling that they um, they they know that maybe they have to or have the feeling they have to play along in order to be part of the new you know this new upcoming society or something like that. If maybe it's really not just fear that's kind of luring people into playing along, but maybe the idea that they can be part of that new society and that's maybe to some extent is good for them. But how many people do you think are going to be like the the superstars in this new society and who how many are going to be like the you know the, the little dwarves like the alphas and the omegas or whatever? Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a very good question, and I see you go back to the terminology of say uh, uh, Aldous Huxley from Brave New World, the alphas and the betas and all of this. Yes, um, because again, that was explicitly a technocratic state that Aldous Huxley was writing about, and it, a lot of that actually does seem to be coming to pass. Uh, it's a good question, and I would I would be careful to state that I I. Uh, my sense, uh, what what do I know? I'm not in any of these institutions or uh, hobnobbing with uh, the people in them, but uh, my sense is that very, very, very few of them are certainly consciously aware of and working towards the eugenics goals, the ultimate eugenics agenda, or even a crypto eugenics agenda. I, I imagine that most of the people in the management class that is ultimately putting this forward and making it happen are themselves primarily motivated by a profit motives and b the sense of being a part of that managerial class which they i'm sure are convinced will be the ones that receive the upgrades and are able to to move on into the bright brave new world of the future um i should also be careful to state that i think that a lot of this technology that's being talked about i'm sure a lot of it is charlatanry at some level and will not function the way that it is being touted in the sort of sci-fi utopia slash dystopia, depending which way you're looking at it, in documents like Exploring Biodigital Convergence. Having said that, I think they will still try to push ahead with it, and it will be like 
the uh, events of 9-11 gave rise to the terror industrial uh, complex, as Colin Powell himself observed uh, several years after the fact. Now we are looking at the biosecurity industrial complex that is coming uh, as a result of this. So there are billions upon billions upon billions of dollars that are being funneled in now and trillions in the future that will be funneled into these various technologies. So it's no surprise that a lot of people will go along with this. How many people will actually get real upgrades and really ultimately what will they do with this and what what is the end goal is this just a means to an end or is it the end in itself again i think it's probably uh depending on which strata of the managerial class that you're looking at um i'm sure a lot of the the sort of tech fanboys are uh, led along into this by the promise of this transhumanist vision of the future and uploading their consciousness to the computer net so they can live forever, etc. The Ray Kurzweil's of the world and other people like that, who we may scoff at, but as at the very least in an incredibly prominent position, I believe he's still there at Google in their, uh, in their skunk works developing future technologies. Um, people like that, I think genuinely believe in this vision. Uh, I, again, I have no, I, I can't back this up. I don't, don't know this, but my sense is that at the very top, I'm sure this is simply used as the carrot to get the managerial class to do this sort of thing. Um, I think the end goal of this is ultimately to make sure that humanity is controlled. And I don't think that the, the promise of uploading our consciousness to computers and all of that kind of stuff, I don't think that's necessarily um, important to the people who are interested simply in that control over humanity. They just want to make sure that that part of it functions as planned so that there's constant surveillance and instant punishment uh, available for anyone who goes outside of the system. It seems to me that this is the first time that all of this is coming out into the open um, and that some of us at least have a chance to understand what's going on. Um, what we have done in our Corona committee is we, we, we looked at the Corona crisis. That's how we started out. And then of course, the um, all of a sudden the horizon and, and the big picture became ever bigger. And now we're here. Uh, we started out asking only three questions concerning the Corona um, uh, crisis. One is how dangerous is the virus? We know it's no more dangerous than the common flu. The second is how much damage do all these anti-corona measures do, both health-wise and as far as the economy is concerned? Some people say this is like World War III, maybe worse, uh, except there's no real fighting going on. And the third question, and that's the one that we're uh, zeroing in on because we part of what we're doing is in the courts, in the in the courts of law is how does this, how reliable is this Drusden PCR test? And of course, it's not reliable at all because PCR tests can't tell you anything about infections. But then we realized from talking to some, because we couldn't understand why there's so many people out there, probably 80% of the population, who do not, even though it's right there in front of them, do not seem to understand anything. Um, and we spoke to one, we spoke to a couple of, a number of psychologists, and one of them explained to us that in order for a democracy to function, you need uh, moral competence. Moral competence requires the ability to ask questions rather than to follow orders blindly, and it requires the ability to enter into discussions with other opinions rather than uh, killing the other person. Um, but now it looks as though some of the stuff they've been planning to do is not working right, that they're making mistakes. For example, all these side effects of the, um, of the uh, so-called vaccines. Is, are, it, it, do you agree with that? Is there something going off the rails that is giving us the chance to step in and uh, maybe stop this? 
If I'm trying to be as objective as possible and looking at this in, say, what you could present in a court of law, I would say that we do not have the information to say whether the, say, the vaccine agenda as it's un un unfolding is is prone to mistakes, is malfunctioning, or is functioning as intended, because we don't necessarily uh, at this point know, definitively know, what the end goal of what is going on right now. And there are possibilities um, that I, I, again, are so far beyond what I think most people are thinking at this point, that it is impossible to even state uh, what, what could be the end goal of what is happening right now. There is clearly and demonstrably a push to inject nearly everyone on the planet or as many people as possible with an experimental medical intervention, a type of gene therapy that has never been try or tried at, at scale, let alone on this scale before in the human population. And there has to be that question, why? Especially because of the demonstrable proof, as I'm, I know you've uncovered, that, that we are not living it through the worst pandemic in human history, and this is not a th species-threatening event. Why, are, why is this being pushed so hard? And there are many possible answers to that, one of which, again, the easiest to fall back on is the profit motive. But going beyond that, um, it is entirely possible, given the types of technologies that we already know are underway, that the injections that are being given right now could be a precursor to something in the future. And uh, that could take many different forms. As one example, I will submit into the record, a Harvard Magazine article from 2011 talking about virus-sized transistors. And this was some research that was going on into something called liquid computing, talking about devising a biological interface in which a nanoscale device can actually communicate with a living organism and uh, they're talking about three-dimensional objects that can be used as transistors and, and inserted directly into cells uh, because they are literal virus-sized and can penetrate cells in a similar way. Um, that all sounds interesting in a theoretical sort of way until you realize that the person who was involved in that research was Charles Lieber at Harvard, who, of course, was arrested um, back in the beginning of 2020 uh, for... Uh, passing information on to the Chinese and being involved in various programs that he wasn't supposed to be in. So that's one example of there may be something um, that at the very least this this precedent to inject everyone with experimental medical interventions may be setting here, setting up something for the future. And if the precedent is set, then regardless of what is in this particular injection and whether or not it is harmful or harmless or anything in between, then in the future, of course, they could use, again, whatever sort of ginned up crisis that they state is happening to once again make everyone take a medical intervention that at some point could have these nanoscale transistors or whatever other types of technology embedded in them that will start the process of this biological trans biodigital transformation of the human species with or without our knowledge. Again, this gets into very conspiratorial realms, but these are the types of possibilities that are going on with the vaccination agenda right now that are so far off the table of conversation that I don't think people can even put their head around it. Yeah, I mean, it seems to be really um, absolutely obsessive the way they they kind of try to lure and even almost force people, uh, you know, um, co coerce people into like taking this shot. I mean, it's really it's it seems to be this is absolutely part of the agenda because this, there seems to be no way out. It's it's uh, really amazing. I mean, the, I was thinking these the side effects could also be. 
Um, I mean, we don't know if everything, for instance, if in every shot would be the same stuff. I mean, it could also be that they are, are taking, you know, really that they have a fine-tuned um, procedure of like, you know, where they apply it could could be that in some of the, the shots there's basic, basically nothing and in others there's really like hardcore stuff so you also don't know where some um, you know uh, um, terrible side effects might happen but it's also I mean I've been thinking if we really are going to look at some kind of um, you know major events um, health-wise if people are confronted with the the original coronavirus maybe in the fall um then we might also look at some at something that's so horrible with regards to like um you know um health effects for a major part of the population or, or like a larger part of the um, population that i mean this would also really um kind of implode the social system you know, I mean, it might be that hospitals this time could this time could be completely overwhelmed with all these sick and and um, suffering people. It's uh, it's entirely possible. In fact, um, you you raise the the possibility of something like a, a disease enhancement, which is a known possibility of these types of um, vaccinations, specifically for coronavirus, as has been pointed out by even the most outspoken proponents of vaccination like Peter Hotez, who has pointed out in previous attempts to create coronavirus uh, vaccines, they have opened the Pandora's box of disease enhancement or uh, ADE as it's sometimes referred to, which as I'm sure you've come across in your research means that when people are exposed to the wild variant of the, the thing that they have been vaccinated against can actually make their reaction much worse. So as you say, as many people have pointed out, it is entirely possible that at some point months down the road, there may be an outbreak of something much um, unimaginably worse than what we've seen so far that could be directly attributable to the vaccines. Although I'm sure they won't be in the media that is bought and paid for largely by the big pharma and told what to say or not to say by large corporations and uh, or large intergovernmental bodies like the World Health Organization. And I cite as an example of that, the fact that when my YouTube channel was struck and then struck again and then struck again and ultimately removed from YouTube, uh, it, the, the message that I re repeatedly received was that you are not allowed to post anything to YouTube that goes against local health guidelines and or World Health Organization guidelines. So that I think goes to show that this is part of an uh, essentially a, a playlist that is being handed down from these sorts of unaccountable bodies. And what what does that mean for the potential to even understand at some point if something does happen months from now, how will we be able to understand that if we're not even allowed to talk about anything that goes against the grain scientifically? Well, we're trying to set up a um, an alternative system of communication. Um, there's lots of efforts going on simultaneously all over the world. We're trying to connect with all these people. Um, but I think our best hope is that they're making mistakes. There's, they seem to be rushing this thing through. That's why I believe these adverse side effects are happening, because I don't think that's part of the plan. I think, according to their plan, we should have all believed that what that the injections are doing what they're supposed to do, and um, but they're not. And um, many as pro this has entered the mainstream realm uh, in in the shape of Tucker Carlson, for example, in the United States, Fox News. He, he went out and said there's 30 people a day dying 
uh, of uh, or after vaccination. He didn't say it was caused, but he says after vaccination, 30 people a day as reported to VAERS. Now we know that VAERS only gets 1% of the real cases reported. That makes it 3,000 people a day who are dying after vaccination. It's about the same in Israel, in all of the other countries. So something has seriously gone wrong. And that's what I think is our best chance to step in. Uh, do you agree with that? Or do you think that is part of the plan too? No, I, I, I agree that I don't think this is uh, going, uh, you know, to uh, in the best way possible for the people who want to do this, whether they're whether they are particularly and specifically invested in this particular vaccine, so-called, or whether they are simply setting the precedent, as I, I tend to believe. Either way, obviously, large-scale adverse reactions um, that are demonstrable and are impacting many people is not good for that agenda. So I think that that is true, and that is does present a weak spot in the argument. But and unfortunately, that actually speaks to the power of the conditioning that people have been subjected to, to only trust the science, which apparently just means to listen to whatever the news is telling you scientists say. And uh, as, as examples of that, I might cite, for example, a, a, a recent Reddit thread that I posted in my most recent article, um, just talking about vaccination here in Japan. And uh, the vaccination has been moving very slowly here in Japan thankfully, from my perspective, but at any rate, very slowly. So it's um, uh, uh, I, I, not only have they not finished vaccinating the, uh, the, the frontline medical workers, but now they're just starting with the elderly population, etc. Um, someone posted basically to say, oh, I, I got the vaccine here in Japan and how it's, here's how it went. And people asked, well, how, how did you get the vaccination? I mean, you're not eligible right, yet, right? And he said, oh, I work in a, in a hospital, so I was, I was allowed to do this. And then he casually mentioned in that thread, oh, but many, many of the doctors and nurses that I work with, uh, probably less than half of them actually got the shot. And people asked, well, why is that? And he responded by saying, oh, most of them said they didn't trust it. To which you would think that people responding in this thread would be interested in that statement, perhaps a bit creeped out by that statement. What does that mean? Why are these doctors and nurses saying they don't trust this? But no, the response was, oh, that, I'm sorry to hear that, but I'm glad you got the shot. And uh, many such responses like that can, uh, can be seen on, any, on a daily basis throughout the Internet. It, as they're trying to say now, the fact that people are having adverse reactions is a sign that it's working. So it's a good thing. And so a lot of people have been convinced that when they experience horrific side effects and uh, in some cases debilitating conditions after getting vaccinated, they think that that's all for the good. I have even, again, this is anecdata coming third hand from internet posts and comments sections and things. So it's, uh, it's not hard evidence, but I have seen at, at least um, uh, digital conversations between people in which someone says that their, their uh, parent received the vaccine and passed away a few days later and other people saying, well, that's, I'm very sorry to hear that, but they did the right thing. Um, so it, unfortunately, I'm not sure that even if it were to be revealed the extent, the true extent of the adverse reactions that are happening right now, let alone the undocumented ones that could happen in the future, I'm not convinced that a lot of the population would even be concerned. Yeah, it's amazing. We've talked about this phenomenon with quite a few few um, psychologists, and it seems that it's for, for those people who are really 
know, um, uh, board, uh, kind of bought the whole narrative, um, that it's some sort of almost like an initiation writers for them, you know, that they're now part of, of the, the crowd, the good crowd again, and they're, they're buying back their, their freedoms, and it's like something that you have to do. And what we hear, for instance, for, from the, um, the university um, uh, hospital of Würzburg is that like, basically, like, All of the the medical um, uh, workers there, you know, doctors and nurses and all that, are uh, vaccinated now, and like quite a few. I mean, basically, the large, the majority of them had side effects. Some of them severe. I mean, at least for like a, a certain amount of time, and but they didn't even, um, you know. Um, Uh, declare these side effects to they didn't report them to the authorities and it's almost something that oh you ha just have to have to do it you have to undergo these things and it's yeah as you said you do it for the for the greater good of everyone and it's it's almost it's something that you can be proud of it's it's really it's really amazing how that brainwashing um you know took hold of people Absolutely. As a non-psychologist, obviously, I can only comment on it from a layman's point of view, but I think it would be a fascinating study if someone took this up specifically as a point of study as an initiation ritual for whatever society we are being steeped into right now. And one example of that that you could point to would be on social media, the people who are now posting uh, get their, not only getting vaccinated and, you know, here's, here's my picture of getting the shot, but people who will actually get dressed up in formal wear in as if they're going to the prom or something like that. Um, I think that does speak to the idea that this is a sort of, some sort of initiation ritual. We have gone through the bad time here. We have this ritual and then we get to re-enter into society. I think there is something deep playing deeply on the, uh, the, the consciousness, the subconscious of the population here. And unfortunately, that's being formalized and literalized in the prospect of the vaccine passports and the idea that if you are not uh, a recipient of this experimental medical intervention, then you are not allowed to enter back into society. And a lot of people have internalized that to the point where even if there are no restrictions at this point, legal restrictions in their own municipality or locality about accessing services or going to, to events, etc., without being vaccinated, people often tend to believe that that is the case, or at least should be the case. And that, of course, I think is, is the next stage in all of this, when they start entering into discussion about what sorts of events and what sort of spaces should people be allowed to enter or prohibited from entering based on their vaccination status? Well, uh, what you're describing is almost cult-like, and it becomes more and more obvious to many people. However, as you said at the outset, and as uh, Viviana pointed out, um, about 80% of the population, this is just a guess, of course, but according to uh, the psychologists who we, who we spoke this, uh, who we spoke to, this is probably, probably correct. 80% of the population is completely immune from anything, meaning they believe everything that the government and these corporations are trying to tell them. The rest of the population, maybe 20%, maybe less, we don't know that, um, is, however, becoming more and more, um, um, they're, they're asking more and more questions. And many of them are digging into the deeper realms of what's going on behind the scene. Many of them are beginning to understand not everything that's in your, in your, um, in your um, videos, for example, but they're, they're catching on to things. And I think that's dangerous for the other side. 
Um, but I do think that it's uh, in the meantime, I've come to the conclusion that's, that it's a waste of time to try and proselytize, to talk to the rest of the population who are, like you're saying, dressing up formally in order to get uh, their shots, because they're beyond, I'm not saying they're beyond help, but it's just a waste of time. I think if we want to stop this, and if we want to have a great reset as we want it, uh, like getting back to the regions and getting rid of the corporations and, and the dependency on that, we have to concentrate on us, on the 20% who are still functioning, who are, who are seeing through these things or think they're seeing through these things and uh, set up a maybe a parallel system of or a parallel life system so that it becomes more and more attractive, may, hopefully, to the rest of the world, hopefully, when they're still around uh, to uh, change gears. What do you think? Is, is that an adequate assessment? I, uh, I couldn't agree more with the general thrust of what you're saying. And I will put that in the context of saying that, as you say, 80%, 20%, who, who really knows? These numbers are just numbers. We can look anecdotally in our own lives to the people around us and estimate how many people really see through the agenda and how many people are going along to get along and how many people really believe the propaganda. But at this point, I wouldn't really trust any data on that front that I'm getting online from say chats or Reddit threads or things of that sort, because we do know that these are populated by social media bots and various created entities. It's been openly acknowledged for years now that the United States military, the Canadian military, the Israeli military, presumably every government on the planet at this point has online social media fake profiles that they use uh, to wage psychological operations against other country citizens, of course, Oh, and maybe their own by by accident. Um, so I don't know how to get a handle on those numbers, but it is, I think, self-evidently true that not the majority of the population sees through what is happening right now, and that the way to really most fundamentally confront what is happening and the erection of this biofascist security grid and everything that it entails with the coming central bank digital currencies and social credit systems and and ultimately biodigital convergence and all of that, the only way to fundamentally combat that agenda is not, I would say, through some sort of political process whereby you're going to get someone elected who's going to make some decree that this cannot happen or somehow I don't even know what such a law would look like. But no, to work with like-minded people to create the society that we want. And at the very, very most basic level, that will take the form essentially of a survival out outskirt community that that uh is not participating in the systems of control that are being erected so if there are people who are uh are not going to be injected and these vaccine passports roll out for everyday life then you will need by necessity there will be no question you will need to know people in your physical area who agree with you and will be willing to interact and transact with you outside of that system of control. So that will be a necessity when this starts to be implemented. And the only question is, are people already working on building those structures, those alternative structures, or are they simply waiting for them to be built? I think it behooves us to start building those communities. And exactly as you say, at the point at which those alternative communities where people do not have to abide by every mandatory injection or whatever other restrictions come to their daily life, when people can actually interact and transact with each other freely, 
and that sort, sort of community not just survives, but starts to thrive, that is the point at which we could reach a real tipping point. And the very same people who just go along to get along in this system, because it's the most convenient, will look at that system and say, well, I want to be part of that. Maybe not necessarily because they are very philosophically, uh, philosophically inclined and really understand the nature of all of this, but simply because they want to go along to get along. Well, at any rate, if we create those communities, then we will have something to model. Instead of constantly trying to fight against what we don't want to happen, we can create what we do want to happen. And that's the entire focus or the, va- the, the vast majority of the work that I'm doing in 2021 is focused on that solutions-oriented sort of, sort of thinking. And it can take very small scale, very uh, almost insignificant seeming steps, or the very large scale of creating survival currencies and that sort of thing. But at any rate, we have to be thinking about it on all fronts, in all ways right now, because whether or not we can model a different way to live is, I think, the crux of the issue. If we can't, then I'm not sure what it is we're going to attempt to do. Simply hold off this tidal wave of force that's coming against us, I don't think is going to be an effect, effective strategy. It's not enough. What we find interesting here in Germany, I don't know if are you aware a little bit of the German situation? A little bit, but not in great detail. Yeah, because I think... Um, We still have some, I mean, when we look at other places, like for instance, Spain or so, we've um, found like from the conversation we've had with uh, attorneys and so on, that uh, in Spain, for instance, there's almost very, very little awareness of what's going on. And in Germany, I don't know if that's because we've gone through like two dictatorships, basically, you know, and there's still a lot of knowledge around also like in the in the former East and then with the the um, Nazi past. So people are a little bit more, um, you know, like emotionally or just have a feeling that something is going wrong. Like, for instance, especially in the Eastern part where people kind of right, smell right through, um, you know, this, this situation and, and think that it's it's a little bit fishy although they might still decide to play along and take the vaccines mm. for their freedom that's a little bit of the you know the downside of it because especially in the eastern part uh, vaccination was never be a big issue like in the past because everyone had to be vaccinated so so that's a bit of a problem but we have a lot of people who are really like dug deep into um, you know, like the scientific realm and looked at the at the numbers because we're a little bit obsessed, obviously, you know, with these kinds of things and like uh, look in detail at at, um, at questions of that kind. And so I think we have a lot of people who are pretty aware of that there's something going wrong. And now um, we actually also have, I mean, might, might also be part of our work because we're people are now really greet us on the streets. Like wherever you go, you basically see someone who says, oh, thank you very much for what you've been doing. And it's so important work and, and all these things. And um, we've now joined forces basically, or like, um, you know, we, um, uh, we joined this political party, the Basis. It's a basis. It's a basic. Find out what's the word. Basic democracy. It's the it's the, the it's a political party that actually actively promotes grassroots democracy, bottom up and not top down. We want back. We want to go back to the regions. We want to be able to govern ourselves without having uh, supranational uh, supranational national. Uh, uh, private enterprises like WHO and others uh, tell us what we have to do. The uh, the one thing that I would like to ask you is: Is it correct to 
to state that there is something shifting in the United States. Some of the people who are out there, some of the maybe fall guys or puppets like Fauci and Gates don't have full control over the narrative anymore. Is that is that a correct assessment? Is there something changing there? I would say it appears that way. I cannot speak from direct experience because, of course, I'm not in the United States, so I, I'm not exactly living there and with my finger on the pulse. But from what I can see from afar, it does seem that, for example, there is significant pushback on someone like Fauci, who has become, I think, equally uh, a figure to be revered and held in veneration by the people who have been initiated into the cult, but also a, a target of ridicule and uh, and uh, critique for those who have not been initiated into that cult. And it does seem to be largely part politically partisan in nature. Um, I think Republicans are more likely to be critical of Fauci than Democrats. But at any rate, that divide seems to be there. And as we've seen in the past few weeks, a rather startling fall from grace for Saint Bill Gates, who uh, up until very recently was essentially portrayed as a saint in a lot of the coverage of him, um, despite the fact there were occasional, even in mainstream news sources, the Columbia Journalism Review, the I believe the Atlantic, um, there have been a few reports over the years about the problems that it comes with this exceptionally wealthy individual funding entire essentially the entire global health grid as it's being constructed, including the World Health Organization. There have been some some notes in some of the coverage that say, uh, pointing out some of the problems with this, but most of the coverage has been veneration of this wonderful philanthropic person, um, which just, I think, is an attest, uh, attests to what you can buy with billions upon billions of dollars in media funding. Um, but Obviously, that has changed. There has been a significant change in the last few weeks, obviously precipitated by the divorce proceedings and some of the stories that are now coming out uh, about some of his antics and uh, behavior on a personal level. Well, I'm not sure that really gets to the heart of the matter with regards to the, the entire corona situation of the past year. But at any rate, it does sort of knock Bill Gates off of this pedestal that he's been placed on and hopefully will encourage a few more of the the cult initiates, shall we say, to question how it is that Bill Gates came to such a place of prominence throughout the past year and a half, despite not being a medical researcher, a degreed doctor, or anything of the sort, but being able to direct this essentially vaccination of the human population, um, or at the very least funded into existence and appear as the point man for many, many media appearances to talk about this process. That's, that should be very, at the very least, a moment for pause for thought for people um, who are wondering how that occurred. And hopefully this will provide them the window to do that. So there is a sign that there could be a derailing, at least of sort of the, the front men for this agenda. Mm -hmm. I don't think that Bill Gates or Fauci or anyone like that is the person who is directing all of this and everything will be derailed if they get dethroned. But at the very least, it could shake a few more of those people who are on the fence or who are merely going along to get along to start questioning what is fundamentally happening here. What is yeah, the role of China? What I, what I said about this, this political party, we see that a lot of people are now who are now waking up are joining this party. There's so many people, you know, like uh, they they 
grew with from like a thousand uh, members to like now 25,000 and it's but it's going on and on and on and so I think it's um you know there's there might be a chance to really like under this 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 roof of the political party which we see as a movement you know we don't see that as a movement because obviously it's it's always threatened a political party to be like under uh, you know like uh, that that, that uh, kind of um you know other people also become members who are trying to to um to you know let, let it implode or like uh, kind of transform it to something that's not going the right direction but i think these people who are now who've taken the the red pill you know there's no way to go back to sleep and now they're joining the movement and that's quite a quite a big uh you know, stream of people at this at this very point, and it might be that also these kind of things, like Bill Gates, whatever, is is like um, you know adding to this kind of uh, to that kind of movement, which is which is good. But of course, it's kind of strange. I mean, do you think they would really like drop Bill Gates? You know, like have him as a go down, and then the others, new people come who, and they're pulling the strings from behind. It's a it's a good question. Um, I don't see it having strategic value for the agenda moving forward, except for the fact that Bill Gates is an exceptionally bad spokesman for this agenda. I don't think as a PR man, he's exactly the kind of person you would want in front of the ca- cameras talking about this stuff, because for people who are not 100% on board with the fawning media coverage, I think it's quite evident that this is at the very least, a very particular type of individual who is not the type of individual that most people would be taking their health advice, let alone just general uh, advice about life and what they can and cannot eat in the future and other such things. I don't think many people would would take this person very seriously if it were not for the billions of dollars behind him. So I think, I, again, I don't, I, I, it's all speculation, I can't say, but I don't think this is necessarily a part of the agenda or that this is this is working towards the agenda but whether they have to throw a bill gates or a fauci under the bus so to speak in order to continue along with the agenda i i'm pretty sure they wouldn't hesitate to do so if it would help help uh, get a, a more camera savvy pr person in front of the cameras um a, a, a countryman of yours um our friend michael swinwood uh, from canada has filed a class action complaint uh, which will turn will be turned into an international class action complaint, and he's about to file one for children only. Um, in this complaint, um, one of the defendants is the Vatican, another is the House of Windsor. So he is looking at the into the historical background of this. Uh, we're what we're talking about is the Rockefeller, the Rothschilds, the Bill Gateses, and all the other frontmen. Um, I, we know that there's a power structure behind them. At least we think we know this is the case. What role does China play in all this? I would highly suggest that people who are interested in that consult some of the work that I've done on China over the years. Um, for example, as a starting point, I did a podcast on China and the New World Order about, I think, eight years ago at this point. Um, but I have talked for some time about how China has been specifically set up to become what it is functioning as right now, which is essentially a model of the technocratic state of the future for 
the Western world and everywhere else. Um, and it is functioning in that role, I think, most specifically in this crisis. So uh, specifically, if we're talking with regards to Corona, of course, the Wuhan Institute of Virology and what was happening there is very interesting and should be a point of research and concern. I obviously, again, definitively do not know exactly what happened there, but the fact that at least gain-of-function research has entered the mainstream conversation. Um, people like myself and others have been talking about it for years, but at the very least, they're finally broaching the topic and putting it in front of the Fauci's and others. And I think that is an important topic to be talking about, even regardless of whether it had anything to do with the, the current COVID uh, uh, situation, because it is obviously, I think, uh, quite obviously, uh, not just a national, but international, a global health concern that they are working on weaponizing various viruses just to understand how better to combat those weaponized viruses. But don't worry, they're super safe in these high-level biosecurity labs. Right, exactly. Well, I think we can all understand the very, very big concern about that. And it's also instructive to look at how the cover-up of the Wuhan Institute of Virology and the many, many American and other researchers that were working there and sharing information on bat-derived coronaviruses over the years, how that was so quickly covered up and uh, essentially through, for example, uh, a high-profile Nature article that immediately came out to say there's there's no possible way this could have come from a lab. It must have come from Nature. And after the fact, it's revealed that um, one of the key researchers in, or one of the key authors of that paper was someone who himself was involved in this very type of gain-of-function research and obviously was conflicted uh, in making a statement like that. So um, there's, there's obviously a story that's worth looking into there. Um, but obviously also um, the incredibly over-the-top reaction of the Chinese government to what happened in Wuhan, Wuhan in the very early stages of this. Uh, definitely set the precedent, set the trend, and created the atmosphere that was then uh, essentially broadcast to the to the world through leaked strategically leaked videos, etc. That provided the model for what became the Italian lockdown, and then of course in other in Spain and elsewhere, and then throughout the globe. So the model of exactly how to react to this was again set by the Chinese uh, communist government. That was that is um, working quite closely with the World Health Organization, which, uh, again, I think those linkages need to be further explored. But on the broader question of China and its role in in this, again, I would suggest people take a look at um, the work that I've done, looking at the decades, decades and half a century, really, going back to Deng Xiaoping and the new capitalist rotors and all of that in the um, the high positions of Chinese uh, communist power that were funded and supported actively by, for example, the Rockefeller family, which just keeps coming back into the picture, but others as well, uh, in positions of prominence in the U.S. and elsewhere, um, specifically in banking and finance, to create the infrastructure for the Chinese dragon of the past couple of decades. This did not just happen as a, a, out of nowhere. Of course, there was a deliberate effort to outsource production, manufacturing and production to China and to create the um, technological infrastructure for China to become the economic juggernaut that it's become that is now being transferred into geopolitical and military power. And I think that is because China has been positioned to serve the role that the Soviet Union served in the mid-20th century during the Cold War, the original Cold War. I think we are looking at new Cold War, Cold War 2.0, in which China will be the boogeyman that will be used to justify all of the egregious abuses of uh, civil liberties and the ever-expanding security budget um, for 
the the United States and the other countries that are seemingly opposed to China. Uh, I think this is all essentially a, a, a smoke and mirrors show that is being put on for the world right now. And I think China's ultimate role is, as David uh, Rockefeller noted in his obituary of Mao in the New York Times in 1973, uh, from a China traveler, where he said that uh, Mao's great experiment um, was uh, was something that we can look to and and uh, see what you know what what value we can get from it. Don't take my word for it, or do, go read the actual quote itself. But uh, he talked about Mao's great experiment. I think that's the way China is looked at as a great experiment to model what is possible when it comes to the te- the implementation of a technocratic fascist police state, essentially. And lo and behold, all of the type of surveillance technology, um, like the nationally connected uh, facial surveillance grid that is being tied into biometric data that can now track people, individuals anywhere in the country within seconds, um, as has been demonstrated time and time again, or the social credit system. Um, they are now trialing the China, the central bank digital currency. Uh, I think, again, this is a model technocratic state that is going to be a, a, the, the model for Germany and Canada and Japan and presumably the rest of the developed world. And I think on that note, it's extremely interesting to look at the media coverage in the West of China, which always, always brings with it that tinge of look at these horrible things that the communist Chinese government is doing to their citizens. But wouldn't it be great if we could do it at home? And uh, that has been a consistent theme of the coverage with regards to the corona crisis in particular. And can I ask you? This this script that we're seeing, because I think it's some sort of script, it does seem to be very military. You know, it's it's a it's a psyop, but it doesn't seem to be like something that comes from basically like a like a, a company, you know, because it is not the, the kind of thinking that you would expect from a company, you know, trying to lure customer into something. But it's more like um this kind of um and maybe also keeping a customer base. It's more like um, as if you know they're not caring about like the the victims, you know, just what you would think like from a military point of view, like a strategic point of view, moving around. So, like, who do you think writes that script? Does it come from? It must come from. Some, we think it comes from some, uh, you know, like English speaking country, maybe because the the terms that we see, we also have the same terms, you know, like flattening the curve and social distancing and so on. These are kind of foreign to our language, you know, and and maybe to English as well. But we feel it comes from from um yeah some english speaking country maybe england maybe america and it must be written like in some some uh, you know some some spot you know some one unit and then maybe it's distributed to the countries maybe goes through some kind of um you know entity like a a media company uh, you know like a um, um like a commercial for an ad company that it's adapted to the individual country And then, you know, rolled out in because it's the same everywhere. So where do you think it comes from? Who writes that script? Yeah, it's an interesting observation. I can attest to that here in Japan as well. Social distancing has entered the Japanese vocabulary as an English loan word or word phrase, um, as well as stay home and some of the other uh, trends, uh, uh, terms that are making their way around the world. So, yes, that is a phenomenon that is happening. And it certainly does seem like it's been at least um, fed through some sort of PR outlet to see what would stick most, uh, mo- uh, most likely stick in the public consciousness. And in fact, I remember the the stories that came out in 
late March, maybe April of last year, where they were starting to say, well, we shouldn't say social distancing because that might indicate that we're trying to get people to stay socially apart. No, no, no. We just want them physically distanced. And we'll call it physical distancing. Obviously, that didn't catch on. There's something about the term social distancing that has latched onto the public consciousness much more uh, much more effectively. So uh, I'm sure these terms are wargamed out and, and passed through. And wargame may be the right way, because as you say, there is a sort of military flair to some of it. Uh, I have absolutely zero in terms of hard concrete evidence for any of that. All I can say is that the WHO, uh, this is going to be a tidbit that I will have to look up myself. I did a propaganda watch last year on the WHO hiring I want to say Hill and Knowlton, which was the same PR firm that Mm -hmm. set up the uh, Kuwaiti um, babies from incubators story that was used to sell the American public on the initial Gulf War back in 1991. They came up with this story that they then put into the mouth of the Kuwaiti ambassador uh, at the United Nations, who they did not introduce as the Kuwaiti ambassador. They called her Naira. They said she is a nurse, but we will not identify her for in case her family gets uh, retribution. And she came out and told this story of babies being thrown from incubators by uh, Iraqi troops, which, of course, turned out to be 100% a lie. It was, that was an entire operation that was put into practice by this uh, PR firm called Hill and Knowlton, and all of the details of that have come out since. Um, that precise PR firm was hired by the WHO as some part of their pandemic messaging or something along those lines. But the details of that escape my memory. So um, people can definitely search my website for more details on that. So there is, I mean, we can point to things like that, that at the very least, they are consciously thinking about how to phrase Um, these various things and how to put it uh, in front of the public consciousness. And in fact, there's entire fields of study that I've pointed out in some of my other research about uh, vaccine messaging and others. How do we talk to vocal vaccine deniers and how do we convince them? And and so Mm -hmm. what's the best language to use and what are the best ways to combat what they're saying, et cetera. So this is a concerted field of study. Um, And I would, uh, other than that, I would say that I also think it's not necessarily that it has to come from one group on downwards. I think it's uh, a process of throwing things out and seeing what sticks. Um, And as an example of that, I would point to, say, the World Economic Forum, which obviously a lot of people are looking to right now with regards to the Great Reset and that sort of branding. But I think of that simply as a branding of an agenda that is, I think, broadly being worked towards by many different groups for many different reasons in many different ways but they see that oh that branding is really catching on with the public it's really sticking it it seems to get the the right idea across in just two words let's go with that so i think that there are a lot of different organizations that are putting this type of material out there and sometimes it strikes a chord with the public and then we'll get latched onto another phrase obviously that uh, along those lines build back better which has popped up in country after country after country obviously not just randomly obviously i think it's at the very least because the propagandists of each nation have seen it work in other nations and have decided to test it out on their own population okay well well james i know we've uh, we're keeping you too long right now but um i'm one final question um or do you want to ask a final question viviana um, I'm I'm just uh, interested. Um, I'm sure you know, heard this uh, the the, or the the mega group that Whitney Webb uh, pointed out. Do you think that you know there's someone even behind from what we where we might expect this whole thing comes from? Like when you say like Rockefeller or like military industrial complex, do you think there's even 
behind that people pulling strings or what's your I absolutely believe that we should keep all of those options open until we know definitively that that is not the case. There's no reason that we should dismiss that, and research into that should go on. Having said that, I find that after 14 years of working in the quote-unquote conspiratorial space, questioning power, essentially, um, a lot of the topic and a lot of the conversation keeps coming back to what is the top of the pyramid? Who is the I in the pyramid? Who is the one group or the one family or the one thing that we can name with the implication that if we just got rid of that, then everything could be freed or, or something along those lines, which I think is, is far too naive. I understand why the public likes that narrative because it's one that they've been fed in all of their media programming throughout their entire lives, but I don't think that's how reality operates. And I, I tend to believe that even if there was a singular thing at the top of the power pyramid, even if it was removed, there would just be thousands and thousands of others trying to fill that position very quickly. So I think we have to confront this at an ideological level. And as I said before, the way to confront it is not to fight against what is happening, but to build something up that we want to, to thrive and survive and defend that. And that's where I think we should be putting our time and attention. But having said that, as I say, I, yes, is there something behind this, this, the supposed string pullers who are pulling their strings? Absolutely. There 100% could be. And there's, fascinating efforts and research going into that. Whitney Webb, for example, in the mega group and all that sort of evidence is extremely important and I would not discourage people from looking at it. At this point, however, I don't think we have a choice but to go forward with our efforts, like uh, building up a new society as we envision it, a humane society that has empathy, which the other side doesn't, and I think this whole thing plays out on three different levels. We have to continue with our legal efforts, even though we know that much of the judiciary has been compromised, uh, but we still have to do it. Uh, there will be major legal uh, things going down within the next six weeks or so. Um, I'm going to send you an email about that. Uh, we also have to continue with your work and our work, which is putting things out into the open, making things visible, disclosing everything that needs to be disclosed. And then, of course, there is another level which they, the other side, doesn't have access to, and that's the spiritual level, which I think plays a major role in this. I didn't th I, I didn't I, I did not think I would ever say this as a lawyer, but over the last uh, year and a half, I've changed my mind. So that is going to play a major role. Well, James, well, if I can make a final statement on that point, um, yeah. I think it's extremely interesting and telling that that uh, exploring biodigital convergence document that I'm talking about in all my work lately from the government of Canada um, specifically says that in the near future, as this biodigital convergence happens, we will essentially eliminate the old ideology of vitalism. And what is vitalism? The idea that life is something more than simply the matter from which we are composed, that there is something actually there, that life is more than just atoms and molecules. And that the idea that they're talking specifically about that being pushed aside, oh, we'll, we'll forget all of that nonsense because now we can manipulate things on a bio-digital level, um, speaks to the malevolent nature of this uh, ideology and also the fact that, yes, uh, if, we, if we are opposed to that, then clearly there must be something more to life than simply atoms and molecules. And uh, if they're trying to eliminate that from our thinking, perhaps there's a reason why. We must cling to it. We will. Okay. We will well, James, 
thank you so much for your time. This is important because it's important to connect with everyone who's on the same, uh, who's pushing the same anti-agenda, which we're all doing. And it's important to bring out the truth. So thank you so much. We're very, very grateful. Thank you for doing what you're doing. And I look forward to your updates. Okay. We'll be in touch. Okay. Bye-bye.